Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. Okay, welcome, Diane. I'm so excited to talk with folks today. There's been so much conversation and bills introduced that is reflecting anti-transgender you know, hate, honestly. Um, these There's more than 80 bills that have in, been introduced into legislatures that aim to restrict transgender rights, largely in sports and medical care. And I know I'm hearing from a lot of friends and family, lots of questions about it. Um, they want to be more informed and have a better perspective so they can talk with their extended sort of circles to create better information out there. So I'm excited we can talk a little bit about this today um, and introduce this topic to our listeners um, for that context. So given that, Diana, I know both of us have kids who are into sports, so it's probably just good to, to mention that. That's why it's really relevant for me. So my daughter, Samantha, um, previously was really into gymnastics. And I think, honestly, she transitioned away from gymnastics because she was starting to get uncomfortable with the leotard and the uniform that she had to wear in terms of how that she was becoming much more self-aware of how she was showing up. But so now she's into volleyball. Um, she's in fifth grade and I've been having so much fun watching her play and she's kind of a natural athlete. So I am really excited for her as she continues to build and expand, you know, her capabilities as an athlete. And something like this hits home for me in terms of these concerns I have for our kids and for others who might really be interested in sports. Can you share a little bit, Diana, about your personal experience and why this is relevant for you? Well, Clark, um, isn't as much into sports as he used to be. I mean, he's always working out and um, walking and things, but he used to be into, you know, he tried out soccer and baseball and basketball through his youth career, but, you know, but for me, it is just about calling a spade a spade. Like this isn't about fairness. This is about making those of trans experience feel like an other. Mm. And not seeing people for who they truly are. That that gender is who people say they are. Okay, so from your your kind of experience here is that this isn't so much about the need for sports to you know be focused on equity and opportunity. This is Correct. similar to the way we talked about it um, before we were recording here today about a hate situation here. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. And, you know, it, it just disregards who people say they are under this umbrella of like, oh, it's all about fairness. But hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about how it's a bit unfair. Um, 
and can be unfair to many. Okay. Yeah, let's definitely talk about that. I want to kind of make sure people our listeners have a good context around what we what we what we say when we say that the challenge in this otherness and not recognizing an individual for who they say they are that's sort of at the core of this concept of what it is to be transgender is someone else is trying to identify the individual based upon characteristics that they determine or define to be important in gender expression or um, identity. But the concept is no one else can define identity, but the individual themselves. And And that's our concept here is that we can't question how someone else wants to define their own personal identity. Is that, is that fair? Yes, exactly. And I think and that this that. gives people a right to be like, well, sure, I see you as you are, but this is unfair and you don't get to do these things. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this perceived unfair advantage and, and dive into whether or not, you know, there's something to that story. So as we were preparing, we were talking a little bit about the difference between individuals of transgender experience who transition pre-puberty to show up as their real selves versus those who transition post-puberty. So I propose we start with um, kids similar to your kids and my kids' experience who have transitioned at a young age, pre-puberty. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what some of this legislation means for them and whether or not there is any perceived advantage, anything real to the perceived advantage or disadvantage that's being discussed here for individuals who might transition pre-puberty. So let's dive into that a little bit. So tell us a little bit, Diana, about, you know, what's happening for these individuals who are transitioning pre-puberty, what happens with their hormones and I think that's the core gist of the concern, right? Around the unfair advantage is this concept of hormones or tell us more. What what are all the concerns? Right. I would say like, just to be really clear, you know, we're going to talk to give people a complete understanding. Having said that, I don't believe rules should be different regardless of when someone transitions. But, but these laws are including as, you know, young as kindergarten, sports. So I think it's important that we talk along the way. So, you know, we're not addressing hormones in any advantageous way as they're perceived until probably um, 14 years old or older. So when we're talking about like the kindergarten, the elementary, middle school age, the pre-pubertal age, we, there has not been evidence of any difference in sports. So there's a study out of Indiana University in 2012, where it's a retrospective study. They took the data from U.S. swimming and looked at who won and what their times were and what their genders were. And they found before the age of eight, that there was no difference between genders and that between 11 and 12, it was fairly minimal because at this point, right, we're starting to see some kids will start to go through puberty. And then it wasn't until 13 that they started noticing a difference 
between the times, the winning times of gender. Now, there are other studies that also say beyond that, there is, there tends to be a bigger push towards children assigned male at birth or, or children perceived as boys to do sports. So there is also a socialization aspect of sports too. Oh, I think I see what you're saying, Diana. So the concept is because perhaps boys are encouraged more, socialized more to do sports, it's very likely that they might then perform better simply because they've been engaging in practice more often than girls have. They've developed their athleticism over more time. Yes. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So when we look at these laws of starting at kindergarten, it's like, what's the point? Right? Like, what advantage are we talking about? I don't know of any advantage in which we can discuss at this point. You know, I mean, we know in athletics that bigger kids uh, tend to perform better, right? And that's like, um, there's a lot of data now of, because of the amount of hours people are playing in sports, there's data now to show that, you know, there's in little league, it's not about the kid that plays X number of hours. It's who's the biggest and that everyone kind of plays the same, but you can get the stars are usually the biggest players. So it's size, which it doesn't necessarily have to do with gender at this point. Maybe you're going to talk about what's fair. Then do we make, height differences for teams. Yeah. And I think what I'm even hearing you say is, you know, Diana, as kids, you're talking about a t-ball or a sport, again, sort of pre-puberty where size seems to be the real advantage. Again, this has nothing to do kind of with the hormone experience because at this point, as you mentioned, research has shown there's absolutely no difference, you know, until the age when puberty starts to, to illustrate some, some differentiation. Okay. So, and that makes sense. So we see a difference in size. Um, So then what about this concept of post-puberty, right? So whether or not we're talking about individuals of trans experience, what's happening or what would create an advantage or a disadvantage for, for anyone other than this concept of size, like you're talking about. Right. So Testosterone tends to give more upper body strength. Um, can, like we know, boys in general tend to be taller, um, and their shoulder girth tends to be a little bit wider, um, which can create some muscular advantages. And it comes down a lot to size again. Um, taller, more lung capacity, bigger hearts, things like that. Okay. So testosterone influences development in such a way that males simply develop, you know, like you said, a larger, stronger heart and lungs and a broader um, bone structure that again, influences the size maybe, which is really driving that advantage that males have over females. Right. So for a female athlete that was assigned male at birth that went through a testosterone-driven puberty and is now suppressing testosterone, 
um, they're going to lose some of that strength. I mean, whatever height they have, they're going to have. But, you know, they say, well, you know, it's not fair. They're taller. They're, um, you know, wider shoulders, whatever. But then, so is that what we're going to use as our cutoff? Like, should we look at all athletes and how tall they are and cut cut off a certain height? Because it's not guaranteed that there won't be a woman taller than them or there's not going to be a woman with a wider shoulder girth, you know? So where do we, like, let's, let's talk about what are we talking about? Where do we draw the line? And, and it's high school sports. Like, I think that's the part that really gets me. I know that a lot of people are driven in high school sports and they have dreams of competing in college and getting scholarships and they have dreams of competing at the professional level. But the NCAA has regulations to be inclusive of transgender athletes. The Olympics has regulations to be inclusive of transgender athletes. So why do the states feel that they need to be more restrictive and non-inclusive when these more prestigious level athletics, which I believe is what many have the dream for, where they, oh, can't be unfair because my kid wants to play in college or my kid... Your kid's going to be playing in college against transgender athletes because the NCAA is inclusive. So why do states feel like they have to limit their athletes and be non-inclusive when these more prestigious levels already have inclusive rules? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a totally valid point. Diana, do you have insights to share with folks about, you know, what kind of are the rules? How is the NCAA and how do the Olympics create the space for inclusivity? Right, sure. So men who are assigned female at birth, um, they're, if they've never been on testosterone, they can, if they want, compete at the women's level. I can't imagine, but they include that. And, but once they begin testosterone, they must compete against men. They must be clear, um, be in the men's category for women of trans experience. They can compete against other women only if they have been on a hormone suppression for at least one year. So that's the NCAA for the Olympics. They really don't talk about the male athlete at all. They only talk about the female athlete of trans experience. And their rules are that a woman has to have identified as a woman for at least four years and that her testosterone has to be suppressed uh, below a certain level for at least one year before trying to qualify for the Olympics and that that suppression must, level of suppression must be maintained throughout training and competing. So those are the eligibility requirements. Okay. And so, so I think from my perspective, my hope would simply be that they would leverage, they meaning states, you know, at supporting our kids, all kids through an athletic experience would leverage some of those same kind of rules in terms of, individuals of trans experience desiring to compete would simply follow, follow along with a similar type of rule. 
in terms right. of their hormone suppression and, and their hormone experience. And people creating these rules are not looking at the other side of things. They're so focused on the unfairness of fee for female athletes. Um, and we can look at Texas to see the flip side of that, right? Because Texas law is that you can only compete for the sex you were assigned at birth. And so there's a great documentary called Changing the Game where they follow three high school athletes. And one of them is a guy who was assigned female at birth who wrestles. Wrestling's his life. He loves it. And he loves competing. But he has to compete against women because he was assigned female at birth. And he's on testosterone. So they didn't care about that. And he wanted to compete against men, but they would not allow him. So the response was yelling horrible things at him every time he came out to compete and basically saying he shouldn't be allowed to do sports at all because he's on testosterone. It's like, well, it's your law. He'd be happy to compete against men. It's your law. He was a state champion for a couple of years. And now he wrestles at the college level for men, as he has always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But there's the flip side of that rule. If you want to say, oh, no, people are who they say they are at birth. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, but wait, <laughs> this isn't fair. And they're right. I mean, that's why the Olympics and the NCAA try to level the playing ground when it comes to testosterone. We can recognize that advantage. They're not trying to even the playing field by people's height or measuring bone or shoulder girth. It's basically the testosterone. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and I, I think it was very profound in the Arizona state legislature when somebody asked them, has there been a female athlete of trans experience that has gotten a scholarship for, you know, female athletics? Therefore, the idea of, quote, taking away from the cisgender girl or the girl that's not transgender. And there's like, no, there hasn't been. And the only reason I hesitate on that part a little bit is because, you know, when we look at population statistics, we assume that whatever the percentage of transgender individuals are in the general population should be the percentage of transgender individuals that get scholarships, that do athletics, that, and that's true of any like group of people that you want to say, see, like if it's well distributed, then we should see that same thing. So that means that if 1% of transgender youth or of high schoolers are transgender, then 1% of all scholarships should be to transgender athletes right? That would be the normal distribution. So, because I feel like that's the one thing it's like, okay, we'll see it's fair as long as you don't win. We'll see it's fair as long as you don't get a scholarship. And I just think we have to be very cautionary and that that's not what that means. It means that they are allowed to work and compete like everyone else. And I feel sorry for these athletes that work really hard for their skills and what they do and then people look at them and say, well, that's just natural and dismiss any dedication they've given to their craft. Yeah. So, Diana, what I hear you saying is this concept of having 
a belief around an unfair advantage may be rooted in this dismissal of effort that any individual might be putting in towards their athletics. That's exactly right. Yeah. So where does that leave us in terms of um, the situation we're in today? My gosh, where there's all these bills being introduced to the legislature. I'm thinking, you know, I definitely need to take some action because I haven't yet in terms of reaching out to my legislators and voicing my perspective on this. Is there anything else we want to share with our readers in that space or? I think it's important for people to be well-informed. I think that there are a lot of key phrases being thrown out there to trigger people's emotions. Like this is about, you know, equality for women. Well, that's saying that women of trans experience are not women because they should be included as women in that equality equation. So that's bunk, but it's easy to be like, oh, wait, I believe in equality of women. Maybe I should support this. Or, you know, knowing that people get triggered by unfairness in sports. And so using that terminology of like, hey, wait a second. I have daughters. I have granddaughters. I have, you know, relatives that are women that are not of trans experience and I want it to be fair for them. And so I think we have to really look at what's fair and where do you want to draw the line, right? Do you want to draw the line at high? Well, it's not fair. They're, you know, those that transition post-puberty might be taller and that's key. They might be, but they're also tall, (laughs) tall women assigned female at birth. So do you want to make that your cutoff? So I think the key is like, let's be informed about what are we exactly talking about? And then, you know, what is really going on here? It is just another hate bill to tell people, we don't see you for who you are. And that's why you have those in support, like the Wisconsin governor who said, when the bill in Wisconsin was introduced, his response was to the transgender youth, I see you. That's why statements like that are so critical because that is what the bills are trying to do is trying to erase the community. Well, let's hope for more visibility for this community and more support. And we invite our listeners to take action as you see fit and to help yourself be more educated and support those around you in, in showing up in a way that reflects love and not hate and education. Thanks, Diana, so much for sharing your expertise and your insights with us today. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.